Well, welcome everyone to another episode here of Beyond Four Walls. As usual, I am able um, with uh, Anthony. Anthony, how are you doing? Good. God bless everybody. Um, and today we have um, um, Jason with us. He is, there's a lot to his story, so um, I don't want to miss out anything that's important. So Jason, thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the community and then we'll kind of dive into a little bit of a conversation. Yeah, man, my name's Jason and uh, Smock, and so been serving the Lord for almost 30 years. And so, you know, just grateful to be on here with you guys and look forward to the to the conversation. Thank you, Jason. So uh, if people don't know, Jason uh, wrote a book. Um, Jason, if you want to kind of say a little bit about your book and how that process went of kind of writing that story and what made you actually write the book. Yeah, well. When I was a missionary, I was itinerating, which is raising money, and I was at a district meeting with a bunch of pastors, and I preached at one of their churches, and the when I seen him, he said, you know, you should you should put your story in a, like in a video, and I was like, you know, I thought about that, and then I was ra- raising money in South Georgia at a friend of mine's church, and I was telling him that. And he said, you know, you should, you should probably uh, write a book, put it in book form, you know. And so I was like, you know, that's a great idea, you know. And so then over a course of probably three or four year process, because I was overseas and he lived in Georgia and the time difference and just life and kids, man, it just took a while. Yeah. But, you know, we, we did it together. And so that's kind of how, how it came about. Yeah, and just for people to know if they want to look it up after the, the podcast, the book is called I Shouldn't Be Here, um, and it's a, a great book. Um, I reread the, the book again today just to be uh, as up-to-date as I could on your story. Um, and I just want to say it was really interesting to kind of hear your perspective, your backstory, and everything like that. I did It did arouse a, a couple questions that I had. Um, one, of the first, one of the ones that I thought was interesting, you mentioned kind of in the initial part of your story – about that as you were growing up uh, though the choice was yours to fall in um, to choose drugs as your outlet one of the things that you mentioned was that the path was kind of set for you your brothers went through the same path of choosing that as an outlet your parents uh, kind of chose alcoholism but you said it was your choice but the path was in front of you kind of set for that and I just kind of want to ask you what do you what do you kind of what do you what do you think about that as the ideas of people that have never heard the gospel and that's the only choice and outlet? How do you how do you see that? I I mean, yeah, when you grow up in a in the type of home I did, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, you know, but in a single parent home, very dysfunctional, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, you know, that's all you really know. That's I mean, you don't know anything else. That's not the to, that's not to blame, you know, yeah. and so, but there, there is, there is what, how I want to say it, our family of origin and how we're raised and what kind of environment we're raised in does kind of set to d- the trajectory of our life yeah. in, in some regard, you know, and what I mean by re- my responsibility, my choices, you know, when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old, you know, I made my cho- I made the choices, you know, but my environment contributed to those choices, yeah. you know, and so, you know, on the one hand, you know, I don't, my mom and dad did the best they could, 
you know what I mean? Yeah. Considering their upbringing, you know? And so a lot of times what we do is to deal with pain and hurt, you know, if you don't know how to process that in an emotionally healthy way, then you, you typically medicate, you know, yeah. on, on some level. And so, one, I thought it was normal, just that's what everybody did. Yeah. But two, you know, all the all the dysfunction of childhood, then, you know, you, you, you revert to that, you know, to cope with it because you don't have, I had no other coping skills, you know, to deal with it. And so, you know, on the one hand, there is a parental responsibility yeah. that my parents had. But, you know, I can't, everything I can't blame on them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I have to take responsibility for myself. It's kind of like a shared responsibility, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, and so that, that's what I mean by that. Yeah, it's so. it's a unique situation. Um, you know, there's many stories where, I mean, you mentioned even North Korea. That's where, you know, you did a lot of your evangelism focus when you, you went out in missions. Um they grow up in in a society in a culture where everything surrounded them is oppression. That's all they know. So to yeah, that's it. to choose a different world when you don't even know that's an option sometimes is not a reality. Um, right. And like you said, people around you were that's what their choice. You never saw any other any other choice being made. You kind of naturally inclination there. Do you, like you said? Obviously, you you take responsibility at the end of the day is your choices. Do you, do you believe in some sort of, I mean, it's a weird way to say, it, but generational consequences to sin? As you said, your parents chose some wrongdoings and because of their mistakes, it kind of led some, to some, uh, to you. And just in general, do you believe that that could happen? As you said, parental responsibility, do you see that in a general scope of that, con that consequence extending to your children as well? I believe it can, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can pass it on, you know, but. But the opposite's just as true too, you know, when you serve the Lord, you know, mm -hmm. you can pass that on because yeah. yeah. Both my kids serve the Lord. Yeah. They both have the call of God on their life. You know, they they both love the Lord, they serve, they give. And so, you know, how we're raised matters, you know. Yeah. And so it does have a, a negative or a positive impact on, on kids' lives. And so you know, it's it's really important, you know, that I don't know the I don't know if, how to say this the right way, but you know, I, I genuinely believe that by God's grace, that generational stuff that we pass on, the negative side of it yeah. has been broke has been broken, you know, for me and my wife on, on our side of the family regarding our own kids. Amen. You know what I mean? And so I I, that that should give people hope, you know what Definitely. I mean? That even though you may be raised in a really messed up home and really, really messed up and your life's a mess, God can come in and save you, turn it around, bless you with a godly wife and grow in the grace of God and have kids. And even though my, you know, I made a multiplicity of mistakes as a parent, you know, you can sever that 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 generational nonsense, you know that that we that we typically can pass on if we're not careful, you know. So yeah, I, I mean, I think like you said, it's it's really important, especially as we ourselves become parents. You start recognizing that even more. Um, now I have right. a daughter; she's three, and then 
I started seeing like, man, there's things that like now I recognize that happened in my household that like, man, I don't want to make sure that doesn't pass on there. And it's, I think that's, really, <laughs> right. I think it's really important, but I think it's super important what you said it as I think Ezekiel 18 talks about it really well, where it talks about just because the father sins doesn't mean the, the son has lost hope mm-hmm. or just because the son sin doesn't mean the father's lost, lost hope in opportunity for forgiveness. And everyone, no matter your circumstance or no matter how long this generation of, of re- re- repetition of whatever sin is repeating in your life, in your family, you have the opportunity to break it. Like you said, if you seek the Lord, yeah. you're able to do that yeah. and, and break, break that vicious cycle that generations have passed on. Yeah, and that's the great thing about God, man, is that he just don't change the trajectory of your own life. But by doing that, he basically changes the trajectory of your family line. Yeah, that's not, that's powerful. You know, yeah. that, that, that's powerful stuff to really, and that, that when I'm dead and gone, by the grace of God, I just pray that it's never broken again, you know, mm. and that, you know, the, the whole line is just changed forever. Yeah. And that's, that's a profound thought, you know, that, that that's God's grace. And, you know, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really powerful. And you kind of mentioned this uh, story of redemption multiple times in your in your book, where each time you reached a a milestone, you you wrote in your book kind of when you finished Teen Challenge, you talked about how you would have never imagined someone for me a couple of years ago finished Teen Challenge when you graduated from Southeastern. You kind of brought that up again when you became a, when you got married, when you became a father. You kind of repeated that multiple times in the book. Right. I I always I wondered was that something personally for you to always stay grounded even within your success or do you kind of believe that we should always bring up our story and be vulnerable in expressing our past to be able to spread the gospel even in a powerful way yeah i think being vulnerable and just being is is important you know because there's a lot of people whether we ever i mean we know it but really connect with people you know i think you have to be open and honest about your story your successes your struggles you know your journey the process and because some people maybe if they don't have hope it, it gives them hope maybe sometimes people don't want to say you know i've had people say well i wish i could say what you said but you know some people want to be vulnerable they they're just scared to death because they've been hurt so many times so yeah. you know by being vulnerable it Hopefully it empowers other people to, to do the same, you know, and be. Yeah. And Anthony, just to kind of hear your perspective on that, you know, a lot of times you know, in two ways. Yeah. As being a, a man, many times, you know, you have to show that front of like powerful. And especially as you go into being a church leader or being a, a, an ambassador for the Lord. Many times people have the false narrative that like you have to show a sense of perfection, not a sense of, of failure. Um, and then on the second, on the flip corner of that also, you know, many times just people are like embarrassed. How do you kind of view that kind of using your past as a, as a, not a limp to your testimony, but off, but a strength, how kind of you would view that? Well, we have to remember that the Bible com- says that we are living epistles, read of all men. So there's a lot of people that have never, or will never open up a Bible but through your testimony, through the way you carry yourself and what you represent in your past and what God has brought you out from that you use as a testimony, they'll be able to see God through you because what he did in your life before they ever open a Bible. 
So that's that's what I believe that that scripture is talking about is that we have to live our lives representing Christ so that even if they never open the Bible, they can see it in our lives and and be changed and see Christ. That's why if if we see the gospels in the Bible, it's called the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew. So the gospel according to Jason Smock, his story is what's in his book. And and they'll see the gospel of Christ through Jason before they ever open the Bible. So, um, you know, it's it all depends on your upbringing. You know, I was raised in a Pentecostal church where, you know, a lot of it was don't do this, don't do that. So you grow up with the stigma of fear. you have the fear of you have to be perfect all the time and you can never be vulnerable because, you know, you got to hold up this image and. As you grow in faith, you're going to see that God answers a sincere heart, the Bible says. Mm. David David wasn't the closest man to God's heart because he was perfect. It's because he was honest. He told God, dude, I messed up. I'm here. I need your forgiveness. Okay. And he, he, you know, he never hid behind a, a facade with God. He was always honest and yeah. open heart. And Jason, just to kind of uh, go off of that, do you, do you think that's an aid? a a problem of people across the nations or do you think that's more of an american thing because we're so focused on our 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 like view and image and do you think it's an american problem or even in korea when you're experiencing you know fellowship among believers there is that something that's across the board it's just a people problem i think it's a people problem i think everybody wears masks you know yeah and they they hide and they you know they struggle being vulnerable and, you know, it's like in, in Genesis, you know, the Bible says, you know, the Adam, he, he was naked and afraid. So he hid, yeah. you know, and a lot of times we're just inwardly, we're, we're naked and afraid. And so we hide and so we wear a mask, you know, and so the, the unfortunate part is, is with that kind of stuff, you know, John Lynch said that when you wear a mask, the mask gets the love you don't, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know, and so it still leaves you empty. And so I think at some point we have to take the risk and be vulnerable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pull the mask off and be, and, and so to speak. And yeah. do you feel like, obviously you're very confident in your story and how God has worked in your life and you use it as a repelment of, of the gospel. Do you, do you think there's something that the churches could implement to create that sense of vulnerability as a normality? Um, or do you think that's just something more individuals had to be more confident in what God has worked through them? I, I think they have confidence in what God's doing in their life. And, you know, we all get hurt. You know what I mean? If you've been in church any amount of time, you know, yeah, sheep bite, man. <laughs> you know, we yeah, yeah. throw each other up, you know, but even though you get hurt, you still got to take the risk and be vulnerable, you know, and, and forgive and, and, and continue to be open because, you know, I just, I, I, if we could just be honest, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I think some people can't handle honesty. It's tough. You know what yeah. I mean? The, the raw, raw truth. You know what I mean? Like this is the reality of it, you know, not sugar coated, watered down or tell you what you want to hear or, you know, and so I think cult, it is a cultural problem, but it's also an individual problem, you know, that depending on the person, you know, 
that uh, that the struggle is real, you know. That, yeah. And so I think by modeling it, hopefully that through relationships and, and close relationships that, you know, people can be, have the courage to pull that mask off, you know, yeah. and be vulnerable, you know. And I, but I think relationships are key to that, that you can trust people, you know. And I, I was like that early on. I, I, I wouldn't tell your story. be open enough, you know, to tell, tell everything, you know what I mean? And so, but as you become secure in who you are in Christ and know who you are and your identity strong, and then you begin to build meaningful relationships, you know, it, it becomes pretty easy, but the, the process isn't always yeah, and oh. and I think one of the things you mentioned Paul a lot in your story, and I think it was it was really reflective of how you said he he had such a bad stigma of, of of what he did in the past, and he used that past as a propeller to say if God could save me for this, He could save you, and he used it as a strength and not a not a negative. And we all have scars of our past, and like I think one of the peace that God gives us is that the scars that we do have become something positive in our life and it doesn't become something always negative and a burden in our life. And I think that's a really powerful uh, within your story. And we see that redemptive, redemptive uh, calling throughout the Bible. Yeah. Well, he, he redeems it all, you know, it's really, I mean, even though we screw ourselves up, you know what I mean? Pretty bad. But when he saves us, the, the, to me, one of the most amazing things about grace is, is that he saves us, he heals us up inwardly of all those wounds. He lances those wounds, heals them by his grace, and that becomes a platform for ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To serve and really, I mean, who better to work with, I don't know, you know, say people who have been abused than someone who's been abused but has found the grace of God and been saved and been healed of that. Mm-hmm. No one's going to have compassion and empathy for that other person like someone who's gone through it. Yeah, and exactly. I, I could love them and help them, and I, I, I wouldn't any way I could, but it's not, not to that not level. exactly the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's the redemptive nature of it, that God turns that thing around and helps other people, you know, so. No, that's, that's, like you said, it's an encouraging for others to do it as, as well. One of the things I, uh, I mentioned when I was leading a prayer service is, it's just it's speaking about that same idea of vulnerability is a key factor to the Christianity, Christianity world, because one, it creates intimacy among brothers and sisters, but it also reminds of, of the grace and mercy of God, because we see it work, the workings of it in tangible sense, like, we saw it in Jason. We see it in Anthony. We see it in me, which helps us rejuvenate uh-huh. our strengths. Um, kind of on transition, Jason, with talking about your redemptive story, one of the things you you went through was Teen Challenge. And one of the things you mentioned in your story is their process is vigorous. You know, you go cold turkey. You went cold turkey there. Uh, um, and kind of one of the things I'm going to pick your brain about on that is do you think that's a method we should respond to in all types of addiction or all types of sin? Where when they come to Christ or when they come to a redemptive state or asking for help, we should respond in cold turkey or should on other circumstances, do you believe that that's not a good method? It depends, you know, because, you know, I was a 
about cocaine, you know, you don't detox off cocaine, you know. But if you're on if you're on painkillers, you know, you can't sometimes you have to you have to go through detox and detox off that stuff. You know, you can't just you gotta you gotta go through, you know, a process medically. You know, you can't like when we're in team even when I worked at Team Challenge there are certain people on certain drugs. We wouldn't take them in right away. We tell you have to go to detox. I mean, we have them in our mm-hmm. facility. They could die in the. They could die detoxing. You know. So when it comes to that, I think you know there is that process. But I think you know normal stuff. You know, you just you get in there and just get off of it. You know. But I think once they detox. You know, they get in a facility. I think that, you know, they're good to go. You know, I don't think you wean someone off of cocaine. You know I mean? You just got to stop, yeah. stop doing it. Yeah. You know, and. No, it's, 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 it's definitely get your point. One of the things that like I see maybe out of just what I think is a solution. And I think I'll go with you is that many times we, I feel find over mercy for people that are going through things when they're just using that part of like, I'm struggling, rebuilding, sanctifying myself and extend and abuse grace. And, and and that's where kind of my thought process is in, in that pro in other aspects when it comes to either sexual morality or going out, you know, doing other things is that part of like, where do we as a church draw that line of like, Hey, I get you're going through this, but at the same time, there's a certain point where you're like, you either accept the Lord or you don't accept the Lord. You change or you don't change. Um, Anthony, how do you, what would, what would you say to that? I mean, it's just <clears throat> like Jason says, it's tough because not every situation is the same. Not every circumstance is the same. Not every person going through any specific circumstance is the same. For example, I can have the personality that I can pretty much stop. I don't have an addictive personality, so I can stop anything cold turkey versus somebody who does have a, a addictive personality may not be able to do that. So I, it's, you know, it, it comes, it's hard because there's sins that have a physical manifestation and then there's sins that there's nothing tangible that you can touch. So how do you, how do we balance both of those and, how do we overcome them could be completely different. So it's, I guess it would have to be case by case and, and have professionals who are prepared in those fields and have experience to, to help anybody through. Jason, I mean, you work in, you, you returned to the work in T challenge. Did you see that often where people abuse that sense of grace with the Lord and we're just using that as a, an excuse to kind of continue to live in their addictions? Yeah, on some level, yeah, you know, they, you know, they make a lot of excuses, you know, addicts make a lot of excuses, you know, Yeah. hey, you know, I got to leave because I got to go take care of it, but really they just want to use, you know, yeah. and so sometimes I think, at least my experience, I think people genuinely want to change, but I don't really think they understand what it takes to change, mm-hmm. you know? Like they like the idea of change, but when it comes down to 
you know, the, the practicality and the, the intestinal fortitude coupled with the, the grace of God. And I'm, I want to serve God, you know, I don't know if they, they want it as bad as what they say they do sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know? That, that, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, it, it draws, uh, it draws to my next thought, which was one of the things you mentioned was in your book, you talked about that drugs was a temporary sat- uh, a satisfaction that surrounded the self. Like it was all self-centered, the pleasures. And you talked about that. That's not exclusive only to drug addicts. You mentioned that some of that uh, strives to seek money. They, f- at the end of the road, they f- find that emptiness of satisfaction just as a drug addict. But, you know, one of the things that happens within churches or just in, in, in general as a society, we kind of rank these problems in different levels. Um, and especially within churches, we do that a lot when it's a tangible physical response like drugs or homosexuality or other things. But those subtle things of greed, of other sins that are not as physical, we don't we don't mention. Where do you think that danger is of not bringing this idea up in all types of sin because we, we we're very clear of these ideas of like hey you're going to find emptiness in drugs and then but we don't strongly emphasize that in other areas where do you see that danger happening within churches well i just think you know we have to really come to the realization that regardless of what sin it is it's never going to satisfy hmm. you know i think I think we try to satisfy our stuff with, with, you know, we're a materialistic culture, you know what I mean? We're, everything's based off money and a lot of other stuff, but, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with money. It's just, you know, our attachment to it and how we value it, you know? And so I just think that, you know, if we come to the realization that, man, I want to honor God, I want to love him with all my heart and, whether it be money, whether it be relationships, whether, whether it be addiction, you know, whether it be lust, whatever it be, it'll never satisfy me. I have to settle that in my own heart, you know. And sometimes people have to learn the hard way. They think that it can satisfy and they have to realize yeah. that it doesn't, yeah. you know. And, and sometimes that's hard to watch, you know. But sometimes you got to, allow people to go through that process to to know for themselves you know it always makes me think of the quote by roger bacon he was a 16th century philosopher but he said without experience you know nothing can be known sufficiently you know you can tell someone don't do that don't do that and you know sometimes they just gotta realize they don't satisfy experience it and realize it doesn't work you know But it's painful to watch, you know. You hate to see that, but but that's just how I view it, you know, personally. Yeah, and many times even people don't realize that they are seeking satisfaction in that. They're they're right. they're clouded by yeah. their judgment, especially a lot of people that are you know believers. They don't realize that their job is their pinnacle sense of satisfaction, or their spouses, or their kids, and until they either lose it or when there's that that is in danger they either run or or come to the lord just because of that's an issue and you see that a lot where 
they they once their their spouse leaves or their child messed up or she got sick or whatever it may be, they lose their connection with the Lord because their satisfaction was led and what was founded in other things, and that's wow. that's definitely an, a danger. And I think something that should be prompted to a lot more because it's definitely something where you you see that um in talking in talking about that um jason one of the things that you did which was i thought was interesting you mentioned obt in your yeah. i i lived in florida for 20 years i just moved recently to charlotte um i think it was so interesting that you mentioned because it does have that stigma like people that live there know about obt and and it's like kind of like stigma what's there um where do you see the importance of local missionary work because you know churches are very quick to talk about hey let's go overseas let's do this but many times that local evangelism local ministry work is not as starlit or as wanted where do you kind of see the importance of local missionary work in every church you, you i mean uh, you have to do both you know yeah. it ain't either or it's both and, you know, because he said, you know, in, in Acts, you know, go into all the world, preach gospel. In Jerusalem, which is Orlando would be our Jerusalem. Yeah. You know, Judea mm -hmm. and Samaria. And so he doesn't exclude anyone. You know, he includes everyone mm -hmm. in the home, town in which you live, the surrounding town, the state, the country. All You know what I mean? So I just think sometimes people just don't have the vision for it, you know, I, I remember one time I was when I was raising money as a missionary. I was in Alabama, and I was at a church, and I spoke. And then I usually made about fifty to hundred calls a day, you know, trying to book services. But after that service, I went home, and then the next day I was making some calls. And I, I don't remember what church it was, but I said, "Hey, you know, I'm a missionary, this or that," and he said we don't do missions mm. <laughs> and, I, and i thought to myself what do you mean you don't do missions you know what i mean like everything about the bible is is mission yeah. you know you know there's one mission you know god's mission the redemption of the world you know like you know what i mean and that, that always baffled me like not to be judgmental or you know be condescending toward him you know what i mean but it's sad to think that you have a pastor who has n no connection or no heart for mission or God's mission in the earth. You know what I mean? Like, how are we so distracted? You know what I mean? With what else is more important than that, you know? And so I, I think that I don't think one one side of it's more important than the other. I just think that you know, not everybody's called to go overseas, you know what I mean? Not everybody, you know, but we're, we're all called to be salt and light. Mm -hmm. So if we be that, if, if we're supposed to stay in, say, Orlando, then do your best where you're at and pray and support, you know, and encourage those who branch out and go further from home, you know, but it's got to be a, a, a collaborative effort, you know, and that, that I think all are equally important. Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, I, I, Anthony, you you did a missionary trip to DR, was it? Yeah, well, yeah. 
I grew up going since my parents are from there, we would always go and do missionary work and stuff like that. So, um, it's just like Jason was saying, it's insane to think that there's actually people that think that way. It's not, it's not an option to like, it's not like, do you want sugar or coffee? It's, it's like, imagine it. We're compared to we're the body of Christ. Imagine if the heart said, I'm going to stop pumping blood to your legs for today. I, I just don't feel like going that far. Could you imagine if that yeah. your body would just, it, it doesn't make any sense that being part of the body of Christ, we, we don't make that a priority. It, it's, it's, it's not an option. That's, that's what we're yeah. called to do. That's what we're here to, like Jason said, we're salt, we're light. Yeah. Salt. Salt in a in a in a pantry is useless unless you take it from one place to another and spread it around. Then and and I think so. one of the things that's important that you talked about um, was the sacrifice needed to be part of the body of Christ. You talked about it in your in your story financially, where you had to save, pay off some debt to be able to uh, strive to your goal. But you also talked about the mental factor of reaching different cultures. You talked about you know, when you were out in OBC, you were kind of, of mocked. And, um, you know, you, there's a sense of danger that you're doing. You're going to places that you don't know how people might react because they're not sober. They might be um, on certain things. And right. I think one of the things that is evident is you talked about, as you said, once you attach your soul happiness to God, that mockery, the risk of danger, the call of sacrifice needed to do these things are all secondary because as long as you're with God, that, that makes you ultimately happy. Um, how do you, how do you view that? Like, obviously there's some danger involved in evangelizing a missionary locally. And as you went to, you go to certain nations that aren't accepting of that. How do you balance that idea of like not being reckless with your life, but at the same time being willing to embrace danger as part of your journey? Yeah. I just think you just gotta, you know, Take the risk, you know, people, I think in the end, people don't want to be the way they are. They may not tell you that, but I believe that if sin doesn't satisfy the soul and God's created us to be satisfied, then the world, the world, everything the world does is their futile attempt to try to satisfy their soul. Mm. But the only way to be satisfied is through a relationship. And so yeah. they may not tell you, they may tell you, I don't want to hear it. But you can look at their life and realize that, you know, the deeper the pit, the stronger the search for God. And so mm. that they, it, but we have to understand that. Mm. That burden yeah. of responsibility doesn't fall on them. I believe it falls on the church. It's powerful. That we have to help them understand what it is that they already long for you know and if we can do that then you know that's how i evangelize you know when i when i talk to people that i don't try to convince them that jesus exists i i, I don't get into all that stuff i'm not saying it's mm-hmm. wrong but i just help them understand that one sin don't satisfy. God's created you to be satisfied. 
and everything you're doing is your futile attempt to try to satisfy your soul. But look, it hasn't satisfied. Would you like to be satisfied? Yeah. And you know, a lot of times they look at you puzzled and a lot of times they'll say, yes, I want to be satisfied. I think we lost him. Yeah. You know, want to be, and, and a lot of times they'll, you can, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You can just lead them to the Lord, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's my approach when it comes to evangelism. You know, I mean, a lot of people have a, a lot of different things and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I've learned over the years is, just help people understand what it is they're already longing for. Yeah. Because Paul said in Corinthians, you know, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. Like, it's okay that they don't get it. They're not supposed to get it. You're not supposed to see it. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're blinded. They got the, their eyes have been blinded. So we try to help them see, you know what I mean? And, and, and do it in a practical, just simple way. And it's amazing. The responses, you know what I mean? That, yeah. that you get oh and so that's there awesome. are some people some people aren't ready some people want to stiff arm you play defense and and that's okay you know what i mean but you just gotta get to the the main thing the main thing and don't worry about you know whether it'll mock you or you know if it's a hostile environment or you know i mean you don't have to be you know proverbs you know zeal without knowledge is foolishness you know so mm-hmm. It doesn't say don't be zealous. It just means in your zeal, you know, let it be coupled with knowledge, you know. Be be wise in how you go about it, you know. Don't be stupid with your life, you know. But, you know, but be wise in that. And I think Paul, you know, in all his missionary journeys, you know, he was, on the one hand, you know, he got drug outside the city and beat and almost died. And, you know, he didn't lick his chops and say, I'm getting out of here, you know. He went back into the same city. Other times he said, you know, he just pressed on to another city, you know. So it's every every situation when you look at his journeys, they're different approaches, you know what I mean? And sometimes he seems a little reckless. Sometimes he don't. You know, sometimes he he lingers. Sometimes he's like, no, I'm not stopping there. Press on. You know, so it's, you know, I don't think there's a cookie-cutter approach to it. I just think you got to exercise wisdom and walk with the Lord, you know? Definitely. One of the things I thought was interesting in, in your process of becoming a missionary was one, the requirements of assembly of God was very unique, which I want to kind of dive into in, in two ways. I thought it was interesting. First, I'll go on the, in the preparation part, you know, you had to be two years in full-time ministry. You know, you went to school for this, um, and which is unique because, you know, there's a, a major, like, uh, I guess I would say school of thought. There's a people that say, hey, accept the Lord, go out and evangelize like immediately. Like you, you, you already, you already know what you have to say. What is your, what is your view and idea of like preparing before you go step out into that missionary world and truly being prepared in a practical sense um, versus just like, because your heart's in the right place and you know, the gospel simple, you could just say Jesus loves you and they should be able to do that. Where do you, where do you draw that, draw that first, you know, that, that line? Yeah. I mean, you gotta, 
everything's about preparation. You know, I mean, Jesus prepared 30 years for three years of ministry. You know, mm -hmm. nowadays we go to school for, we, well, we want to do four years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we technically got it backwards a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know that's, what I mean? That's a lot of it. <laughs> you know? So I think we want to, we want to rush and go, you know, and, and there on some level, you know, there, there should be some urgency, you know what I mean? And wanting to do what God's called us to do. But even Joseph, I mean, I think it was from dream received to a dream fulfilled was, I think it was around 22 years, you know, 22 years, man. You know, that's, that's a long time. And those 22 years weren't, mm -hmm. weren't pretty. You know I mean, they were, they were pretty brutal, you know? And so, and, and I think that process is different. God does the process, you know what I mean? We can't manufacture the process, but I just believe that most of our time is, is spent in preparation. But I think a lot of times we want to be doing for most of the time and, and, and not, not spend as much time preparing, you know? And so that's, I mean, I, I just think that's, I mean, if you look at life, I mean, Leonard Ravenhill said, you know, this period we're in now, talking about life, is a dressing room for eternity, you know. In other words, God's preparing us to preparing us for eternity. I mean, it's there's a period of preparation and so and it may look different for every person, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe longer, but I don't think you can rush the process, you know. And so, you know, I just think be faithful and, you know, and and pursue what what God's called you to do, you know. It was like I don't know how many years it was, probably gosh. Yeah, that's probably a, a 10 12 years, 13 year process for us, you know, roughly. I I'm trying to do the calculation in my head, but you know, it it was a while, it was a long it was a long time, you know. It was college, it was two years of ministry, it was paying off $30,000 in college debt in five years. And don't ask me how I did it, making six, seven bucks an hour. I don't know how I did it, but God did it, you know. And But he's growing you and teaching you things in that process that prepare you for what's ahead, you know. Mm. And so we have to trust him, you know. And so a lot of times we just want to go out and tear it up, you know what I mean, and go rip and run for Jesus. But you know, he's trying to prepare us, man, for, for what's ahead. Yeah, that's, so that's definitely, each, that's each definitely powerful. journey is preparation. You know, I always tell my, you know, I always tell the Lord, you know what I mean? Like, whatever you're trying to teach me now, help me to learn it. You know what I mean? Because if I don't learn it here, I'm going to have to learn it on the next leg of the journey. I, some of the stuff, I don't I don't want to yeah. have to do it twice. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard enough. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, you know, but. But I think it's it's about trust, you know, and and giving up control and, you know, all right, sometimes our identity is rooted in what we do. So we rush to do and we're slow to be, you know, and so it's there's a lot going on, you know, what I mean, that God's trying to work out and even work into our lives before he sends us out and uses us, you know, so. Yes, yeah, that's, that's powerful. I mean, um, Anthony, you kind of mentioned that when it comes to like our prayer lives. 
and how Jesus, the amount of prayer he really did throughout the day versus what we kind of like do and want to kind of like cast out demons with all this, but the amount of investment he did towards being prepared, even as the son of God, to be able to achieve the things he achieves. How do you kind of view that that preparation period, even in your own life or just in general, Anthony? Well, like <clears throat> the perfect example is the disciples. They He didn't call them and they were immediately casting out devils, doing miracles and stuff like that. They were with him for three and a half years of his ministry. Then they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, and then they were able to start fulfilling their purpose. And they were still constantly learning. And And then Paul comes even later after being knowing the law and all this other stuff. He was prepared for it, too. So it's like, and, and the, the, the part about prayer, the only thing that is recorded in the Bible that the disciples asked Jesus to teach him, they didn't ask to be taught how to raise the dead, how to do miracles, how to multiply food. And, uh, what they asked him is teach us how to pray. And then that lets us understand. And we see it throughout the Gospels. It said, long before the son, he went up to a secret place to pray. So he was praying before the sun even came up, three, four, five hours in the morning. And when he... We see it in the Bible when he when he did a miracle, he wasn't there like we are nowadays trying to cast out a demon. Come out, come out. And we're there five five hours and the demon finally comes out. It was in a matter of seconds. Come out. Demon would leave instantly. Then they saw, okay, he's spending five hours doing this thing up in the mountain behind a bush. But when he comes to deal with the issues, it's in a split second. And we saw it when the disciples were trying to cast the demon out of that the that little boy. And he comes down and he's like, how long must I be with you? Because same thing. They were there for a long time, switching. I could imagine this guy was done, then this guy took over. And it's like they they weren't understanding that through Jesus' example, he would prepare himself in the morning, prayer, and then he would go out. And just like Jason said, we want to spend two hours praying in the morning while we're driving, trying to put on our makeup, trying to put our tie, go on to work. And then we spend eight hours of the day trying to figure out this problem at, at work. And then we only spend two minutes praying. So we've got it flipped, flipped over. Yeah, I think it's uh, preparation is, is shown in so many examples of – you see, I mean, in all the leaders, you see Moses, you see Abraham. There's such a waiting period from their promise being told to the promise being fulfilled, where as generation upon generation, and we've become more accustomed to getting results immediately with through technology and through our response time, we've come, we've grown accustomed for a God that works in eternity to work in our linear time of, of responsive quickly. And and one of the things I, he's, I've he's learned, to accept, especially oh. having a daughter, is that God works solutions many times through generations. As in, you know, the people of Israel were enslaved for years of, you know, for, uh, you know, 400 years. That's multiple generations. The solution had even happened in many. Yeah, he's not in a hurry. So I think it's one of those things where we had to be willing to accept that we might not even see the solution in front of our eyes. But maybe a few generations down, as we continue to grow the round, groundwork, we will be able to see 
that promise being fulfilled. Um, and I, I think preparations is frustrating and tough, but it's necessary. And to flip you to your to how you deal with you know the financial part and how Assembly of God does that, that was unique because the building of of finances before you leave, before being funded throughout your you being there, I thought was really unique. Um, how do you you know how do you how do you view that concept of of that funding of missions? through churches, you know, most churches just have a fund like allocated to missions versus you building it yourself. Yeah. I think if you, if you have to go and raise it and, and network and build that yourself, I think it's better because you have relationships with those churches you know, the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when they're investing mm. in, say, say, say me and my family, then their heart, you know, they're, they're connected to us. When I need something or if I need prayer, you know, I had like 200 churches and individuals that support us. I can call on 200 people and those 200 people know thousands of people you know and we and there are times where you know we needed prayer and we'd send it out you know what i mean and i'm not kidding you man you you could be seven thousand miles from home feeling people praying for you but if you're just getting it through a fund you have no relationship with those churches so you're trying to not go it alone but you don't really have that type of covering that I think is really needed to do ministry. You know what I mean? Like it's tough, man. And the whole financial piece is, is very wise because you know, the number one problem or number one marital issue comes from finances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they do it because you have enough stress when you're overseas trying to learn culture, language, raise your family and everything else to add a financial stress to your life on top of that, I mean, don't give you a fighting chance. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so there is a lot of wisdom in it. You know, it, is it a lot of work? Is it tough? You're on the road. I was in like 20 states in one year, traveled by myself, hotels, airports, eating by myself. So, you know, I mean, it's it can be lonely, tiring, wore out, and, but... You know the the benefit of it, I, I think, outweighs the the outweighs, yeah. outweighs the price you pay. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, no, it's it's but 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 I think it's good. You know what I mean? It's a good process. I you know I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. You know, and so. as you mentioned, one of the things that you were seeking was not just a financial commitment, but like you mentioned, even right now, that prayer commitment of like as you just mentioned, yeah. Paul, like. That's such as much as just as important to have a community backing, knowing when you're struggling not only financially but like you said, it's exhausting doing all this. Having that know how that no not knowledge that you have a fam or like a family truly backing you make and wanting that success for you. Um, yeah, I wanted to wrap up on this last point. Was one of the things that you know you see this a lot. I mean. And being around a lot of pastors' kids, you, you, you see this story a lot where 
they mentioned, oh, my father, my parents were so involved in ministry. They, they didn't give me the attention or they didn't give me as kids. You know, you see that, I don't want to say negative of consequence, but like when people devote themselves to ministry, many times that neglect and of that parenthood, that loving to them, sometimes you don't have the time. Like you, in your book, you talked about you moved back and forth. You, were, you had to leave early to travel. You know, you, you were away from your kids. How do you explain to people that maybe not understand or even the kids that went through that as pastors, being, you know, parents being pastors, that idea of that sacrifice needed to be able to achieve these things? And how do you do that with your, even with your own kids, that, that possibility? I mean, when I raised, when I raised money, you know, my kids were young, you know, but I was usually gone. If I was out of state, I'd leave on a Saturday. I would come home Sunday night or Monday. So you're looking, I was gone for a couple days. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there was times where I was gone a few weeks, like 17 days one time, but when I was up, up North, but typically I'd be gone a couple days. You know what I mean? But then I was home and we did stuff together. If there's something going on at school, you know, I mean, my wife, we, we pretty much went to about 95 to 98% of all our kids stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we actually would say no to a lot of stuff. Not, not so much like when it came to raising money, but in, in traveling, but you know, other things that we may want to do, you know, in ministry or we may put that on hold, you know, and say, no, you know, to be with the kids, you know what I mean? So even when we were overseas, we went to every soccer game, you know, we went to, we went to everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think, I think you can have both, you know, and, and do it well. I think where people make the mistake is that, and I think part of it is identity, that we find our identity in what we do. And so we, that's why we're so, we're so willing to sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry because our identity is rooted in what we do. We find value in what we do, you know what I mean, not who we are. And so, you know, I don't have to be in ministry 24-7, you know. God doesn't need me, you know what I mean? <laughs> he, he wants me. Mm-hmm. He don't need me, he wants me, and so... He don't need me to go rip and run and, and burn the candle at both ends. You know, he, he wants me to to be diligent, work hard, do ministry. But the greatest ministry you'll ever do, you know I mean, is probably sitting at the kitchen table with you. You know, that's mm-hmm. the greatest ministry ever. You'll, you'll spend more time with them than you will anyone in the course. So the best way, I think, to, to ensure that the next generation hears the gospel is, is to is to raise your kids properly and take care of your family, you know, to ensure that that stuff's rooted and grounded in them and they can, you know, they can take it to the next generation. But, you know, I, I think there, there's a lot of factors in there when that stuff happens on the negative side of yeah. it. But I've noticed a lot of, a lot of it is identity and value. You know, they, 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 they want to, prove their significance and who they are and mm. you know and typically the family pays the price for that you know but that's yeah. that's an internal issue you know what i mean 
Yeah. That's their that they need to, to resolve, you know, within their own heart. But, uh, but there's a lot of different, very, various factors for that, you know, but, yeah. but yeah, man, you take care of your family, man, and be there for, you know what I mean? And you can do both and do it well. You don't have to sacrifice one or the other. You know what I mean? Definitely. Anthony, were you going to say something? Yeah. The most important thing that you said was the saying no. Because I feel, especially as Christians, we have an issue with saying no because... You're not supposed to. Oh, we think... Yeah, you're not supposed to say no to God or if God presented that opportunity, you know, sometimes you got to say no and remember that your family is also, was also putting in hands for you to manage it correctly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing. On that, do you, like, you know, Paul even mentions himself that having a family in some ways takes away time from what you do. Do you think in many ways, sometimes these people that do have these callings, maybe shouldn't even get married because the weight of what they're called to do is so powerful that maybe a family isn't meant, not in a negative way, but God is intended them to have, you know, join them, but in through what their work is. How do you view that? I'm just a firm believer, man. It's, you can do both no matter what that call is. Okay. I mean, no matter how great the call is. I mean, I just think that it's not good for a man to be alone, you know? Yeah. Everything God created, he said it was good. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that isn't good is not good for man to be alone. So I think there's that relational component. I know Paul was pretty much single, that you know, but I think that's rare. I think it's, biblically speaking, I think more often than not, that's a one-off. A handful of people, you know what I mean, here and there in life, you know. You, but I think for the most part, it's not good for us to be alone. He's created us for relationship, value the relationship he's given you, value your relationship with him, and then, you know, keep it keep it balanced, man, and don't don't gotta sacrifice one or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. You can celebrate, embrace and enjoy both. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's but it's it's definitely powerful to as you continue to mention, your identity is always rooted in God. And through that everything else, your ministry at one point, you did the landscaping of the church. Your ministry, your value is not in your ministry of your work, but your values are always finding your identity in Christ. One and the last, the last kind of thing I wanted to, the last thing I wanted to bring up with you, Jason, is when you never experience those struggles, many times you don't have compassion or desire to reach the people that are lost. For example, I grew up in a household, even though my parents are separated, and that's a whole separate problem. I never experienced people i was never even around people that did drugs i've never been around people that lived a life of prostitution like i i'd never seen that like i'm not in the circles to see that so many times because i've never seen it experienced it that desire to reach out to the loss isn't as strong as it is for someone that came from that what would you say to those people that grew up in church or grew up in a life that was never exposed to that how would you, how do they spark passion for that without themselves falling in depths and to being redeemed? Like how do how do you kind of spark that? Well, how would you say to spark that? I don't know. I mean, I think there's enough people in church that can identify with them. You know what I mean? That that can can reach out and and serve whatever 
issues going on in someone's life, regardless of what that is. But, you know, I think just trying to see people how God sees them, you know. And there, there, there are certain people that have certain struggles that, you know, I don't feel like I'm necessarily best qualified to help them. And so maybe that level of compassion isn't there that probably maybe should be your empathy. But, but you know, there, there is a certain level of love that you just have for people in general that if you don't feel like you can't help them, then, you know, hey, maybe the most loving thing you can do is connecting with someone who, who's who been through what they've been through. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you know if you know someone who's been through that, you know, or or maybe do a little research, go the extra mile and do it and, you know, help them that way. It doesn't necessarily mean you got to be hands-on through the whole process with someone who's been through something other than what you have. You know what I mean? And you feel like there ain't no connection or you can't, really help them you know they're we can all help them on some level you know what i mean so some of the best things i've ever did was just refer people you know what i mean yeah i generally can't help you you know what i mean but i know someone who can you know and so that's i think that's a act of love and compassion and it's in its own right you know what i mean yeah being and being honest with yourself that you know I generally can't help you. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I love you, but I can't help. You. I can't do nothing for you. But, but it brings back to that that the idea that we're the body of Christ, and you don't and making relationships. Yeah, you you yeah. don't have to be the solution of everything. And many times you could end, you right. could end up hurting someone, giving them bad advice because you're not an expert in it. Right. And then giving them right. But I think it's really key what you what you said, which is learning to have the eyes of the Lord. And when you have the eyes of the Lord, you you're, you have a burning desire for anyone that that has that's, that is lost in whatever aspect. If it's in drug addiction, a broken family, we like you said, we all try to find satisfaction in some way to our souls. And when we have the eyes of the Lord, we just have a burning passion to help them find that satisfaction in Jesus. And I think yeah, I think that's really key. Yeah, I I'll tell you this real quick. You know, I know you got get, get, wrap it up, but. I was working downtown for like two, two and a half weeks at another helping a, a friend of mine. He, he'd asked me to go down there and help this guy, the, the company I work for. They, he asked me to go down and help his friend. So, and every day when I left work, I, I came down certain street down in downtown, right South of downtown Orlando. And there's a, there's an old man. And, uh, he was, he was real. He's really heavy, you know what I mean. And he he was in a wheelchair, and he he was there every day, man, sitting at that bus stop. I know he didn't get on the bus. I mean, he was just there. And then one day I went by, and it was pouring rain, and he just had a blanket over his head, you know. And I drove, you know, I drove by him probably in two weeks. I probably drove by. I drove by him probably twelve times. You know, I didn't see, I, I didn't see him there in the morning, but when I left, when I left to go home, I always saw him and, you know, there's a, the reality is I, I don't know what I could do for him. You know what I mean? I could probably try to connect him somehow to someone that could help him, but you know, that there is that level of man I, uh, not, maybe I don't know if helplessness is the right word, but you just feel like, man, I don't really have what it 
what it takes to help him like like I'd want to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, not so much on a spiritual level, you know what I mean? I mean, we can anybody can share Jesus and lead someone to the Lord and all that. I'm I'm just talking on a about on a, on a practical level, like I don't have what it takes to get him off the street. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, besides getting him into maybe a facility, but there, you, you just, I just had to, I don't know. I, personally, I was like, man, I just, I feel a little helpless. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you feel bad for him. You know what I mean? But what can I, what can I do? You know what I mean? And I'm sure there's something I can do. You know what I mean? But it's like my brain's ripping a hundred mile an hour. Thinking, yeah. What can I do for exactly. that guy? You know? Yeah. But, but Anthony, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, my <clears throat> my thought was on, if I'm not mistaken, in your book you say that your mom was presented Christ at a at a bar. Yeah. Uh, some gentleman went up to sing, and he presented the Lord to her. So I wanted to to ask you about that. How do you see? Because you know, growing up in church. It's always like, oh, you're not allowed to go to certain places. Um, if if God reaches somebody, he can reach them anywhere. So why would he reach them at a bar or at a club and stuff like that? So what, what coming seeing that as a personal experience through your mother, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't think it's necessarily for everyone, you know. I mean, I don't want to go sing at a bar, you know what I mean? <laughs> But, you know, his his brother actually owned the bar, but yeah. it's it's unique, it's different, it's not everyday type yeah. evangelism stuff, but I do believe that on some level it's for some people, you know? Yeah. And so I, I just think that you, it's situational, you know? I mean, I could go, probably go in a bar now and witness to people and it, it wouldn't have no effect on me. You know what I mean? I'm almost 30 years removed from addiction and stuff. So, but I mean, I don't do that, but Mm -hmm. you know, there, but I don't know. I mean, I think if, if you do do it, you know, you be wise in what you do, you know what I mean? And so maybe, maybe do it with someone else. You know what I mean? For some accountability, if you're going to do some of that type of stuff, you know? So, but and it, and it and it shows how it just helps us see that no matter where we're at, God can still reach us. We can't put him in a box and say, "Oh, we yeah, you know, we You can't. He can't. He can reach us anywhere." Yeah, and, and the and although it may may not be the way that I would would go about it, mm-hmm. guys, personally, even today. I wouldn't ever discourage anyone. I'd try to make sure they're exercising wisdom, but you know, the, but the reality is if he doesn't go in that bar, my mom, never, oh, no. she may yeah. have been saved. Yeah. And, and she, she may not have never prayed for me and mm-hmm. got me into teen challenge. You know what I mean? Like, although I, it ain't necessarily my thing or how I do it, I, I can't remember the optimal way. I, I can't knock it. I benefited. From yeah. It. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And so I think, you know, we don't want to be judgmental and criticize people, you know what I mean? In their approach. But I believe that 
you know, just, just be wise, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. don't be reckless, but you know, if you don't struggle with that stuff, then, you know, whatever, you know, if you, but if it's a major struggle, you know, you may want to wait. Then you don't want to put yourself in. You don't want to put yourself in that situation. You know what I mean, especially by yourself, yeah. you know, be strong in the Lord and, you know, and have some accountability, but it's just, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy thought to think, you know what I mean? If yeah. he would never played that music in that bar, man. I may not be sitting here on this podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, that's the reality of yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's those small, yeah. it's those small things that end up you realizing becoming such big moments in your lives. Um, and that's, and that's the great thing of the Lord that, um, I, my favorite, you know, story is a prodigal son. And one of the things that's unique there is that he runs to his son where his son thinks, you know, he's coming in, you know, self-deprecating himself saying he'd just be a servant and and it's jesus i mean it's this the master running to his son the father and i think that's the unique story of of god is that no matter how deep and lost we are he's trying to find ways to run to us to show his show his love and show his mercy and show his grace And, and that's why it's important to share our testimonies and that's why it's important to be able to engage with each other because through that we're able to be reminded of of god's grace and mercy so i encourage everyone to read um jason's book again um it is on amazon you can find it again it's i shouldn't i shouldn't be here um how the grace um how i found grace in sorry unexpected unexpected places there you go i wrote down that that last little thing there so just just look for him um jason again thank you for coming on um, we uh, we encourage you guys just to engage with the, your church community, with your local community, to be able to find the Lord and, and through through community. So thank you for coming, Jason, Anthony. As usual, thanks for being, thanks for being on with us. And until next time, I appreciate you guys. Take care. Thank you. Take care.